just screaming at his team, win, win, win. And the opponents would be like, yeah, no shit. We get it. You're trying to win. But win actually standed, stood for what's important now. Oh, so whether they made a successful play or they got stopped or something happened. Okay, next. Next up. What's important now? Power Athlete Nation, welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Tex McQuilkin here, the Director of Training and Education for Power Athlete. And today I will be joined by Ms. Callie Hinsman for little turns of the tables. Callie will be interviewing me and we're going to be speaking about coaching. So going back into a little bit of my history within sport and what led me to begin coaching in my career and how we were able to turn a lot of those into lessons that we speak to within the Power Athlete methodology. So a lot to unpack here, to quote our good friend Rob Wolf, but we explore a little history and the importance of coaches, whether you're working with youth, whether you're in the fitness industry. So, so much valuable information within here. And if you want to learn more about exactly what we speak about in a more in-depth sense, head to academy.powerathletehq.com for all of our online coach and trainer education. Until then, let's get started. Power Athlete Nation. What's happening? Tex here, the Director of Training and Education for Power Athlete, and I'm joined by Callie Hinsman. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Good. I have no formal title. I've just been a groupie for years and years. Uh, Not necessarily. So (laughs) Callie and I have worked together technically, I mean, 12 years. 2010. Is that it? It feels like longer. <laughs> well, I mean, put in all the continents, all the miles, all the seminars that we've logged. Mm-hmm. Certainly. The cheesesteaks. <laughs> oh my God. Probably the greatest job interview of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, today we're going to explore coaching a little bit and experience. And Callie is going to p- propose some questions for us to to discuss, open up and reveal. Ooh. Ooh, reveal. <laughs> How vulnerable. Yes. Yeah. No, I I'm, I'm excited to do, <laughs> to do it because uh you know, we've we've batted around some ideas for possibly doing another episode together and one of the things that I really want to do is is interview you because uh you're like an onion man. Just the layers just keep on coming. And uh, you look shocked when I say that. Well, I mean, this this position, this seat, I get to interview John every day. Mm-hmm. And then I get to interview these wonderful guests. So this right, is but, a- the, but the people want to know, who <laughs> is Tex McQuilkin? Who is this Christopher McQuilkin that you speak of? And so uh, for me, I mean, a lot of people don't know you nearly as well as I do. We've been super good friends for a really long time. And so I think it's it's cool to get the opportunity to ask you some questions and like dive a little deeper on some of your passions, your history. And, uh, as John puts it, like how, where'd you come from and how'd you get to where you are today? And I don't know where that accent came from. Cause he does not have a, like a Southern accent, but that is well, my best. <laughs> yeah. You're from Virginia. So you put the, the twang on the, the SoCal vibes. Yeah. Which is where we essentially where we met, or would you say Virginia or DC? I would say Virginia, fitness first, results later. Results later. 
I thought it was going to be fitness first excuses later. <laughs> no, that's CrossFit Balboa. <laughs> I love it. Yep. That's where, that's where the old stomping grounds were. That's, I mean, can you even remember the first time we met? I, I do. You had that posh spice haircut. At oh my God. First. first of all, it was so bad. I went, I got my haircut. <laughs> this woman gave me a T-Boz a la TLC. If anybody remembers that girl group. Yeah. Texas being kind when he calls it a posh spice haircut. It was heinous. There is like high in the back. So it was business in the back, party in the front, kind of the opposite of what you, it was a reverse mullet, essentially. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> awesome. And I had a mullet. So it was like a perfect balance. Naturally, I mean, fast yin friends. Yang's, yin yang situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was fitness first. I was personal training and you were sales rep and then went off. I was in grad school at the time, but then we were able to reconnect. I was finished with school and then back in D.C., through Devin Mayer Balance Gym. And yep. then that's where that's where we reconnected. Yeah, um, another fitness first uh prisoner who escaped to the great world of uh the District of Columbia. And we we eventually found each other there again and became training partners and uh coaches together and all that stuff. And the rest is history. So they say. Um but yeah an awesome experience and then it, it just goes to show you in the world of fitness, as I imagine, that's the only career I've ever had. And you just run, keep running into the same people. And if you're a good person, they're a good person. Eventually, you'll reconnect and then opportunities abound. Which would lend itself very well into some of the first questions I have for you. Are you ready? This is not like rapid fire, but it's going to be ready, ready. And essentially tell you suffer from heat stroke because i'm keeping an eye on you don't think i haven't seen you wipe your brow a few times <laughs> yeah oh yeah uh Great. so do you what are some of your earliest like memories of sport going way way back like think about loving sport for the first time loving getting on the field or being competitive uh let's start there let's not let's not even make our way to the weight room yet but what are some of the, your earliest memories of that well through my father was a baseball kid, so baseball first, and then absolutely loved basketball. And this is the heyday of the NBA. Uh, what? Talking Jordan, and then the back-to-back -back NBA champion, Houston Rockets. And, I mean, really the, the exposure to basketball. So my dad went to North Carolina State, which is 1983 NCAA basketball champions with a coach named Jim Valvano, who became famous. Because he, he had cancer. And then ESPN, he had an amazing speech at the ESPY Awards that has now become Jimmy V Week. And it's, it's the give up, don't ever give up uh, speech. And it's amazing. So my dad lived that and then would push basketball, NC State, in, into the household. And I follow along not knowing any better. And then eventually the Rockets, Rudy T. So you, then you have this very charis charismatic coach. And then his speech is never underestimate the heart of a champion. So winning for any kid is going to help you fall in love and become a fan of said team. It just happened to be my hometown team. And like from there, coaches were always highlighted and spotted by my dad. So it was Rudy T., Jim Valvano, and then a man named Lou Holtz. So he also coached at NC State, mm -hmm. Notre Dame. Uh, now he's all over TV. 
Uh, his son's a coach, his grandson's a coach. I actually coached his grandson at University of Texas when I was there. But Lou Holtz is all about big time goals, writing goals. And then probably one of my favorite stories about him is standing on the sideline and just screaming at his team, win, win, win. And the opponents would be like, yeah, no shit. We get it. You're trying to win. But win actually standed, stood for what's important now. Oh, so whether they made a successful play or they got stopped or something happened. Okay, next. Next up, what's important now? So it was always this next play. Um, but, I mean, the goals and the, the emphasis on goals for me came from listening to speeches by Lou Holtz and, and getting into that way. So it was always uh, just coaches were a part of my life. It wasn't necessarily athletes and players. Like I had dudes' jerseys as a kid. Muggsy Bogues still got that jersey. But oh, I had Mike, the what basketball. Was he, is he the, the shortest player in NBA history, right? Oh, my inspiration. He was like, like your height. Oh, yeah. Still is. But uh, like had the jerseys, but realized quickly, like the players are on the team and then they're gone. But I stuck with the, the city, the fan base, and then the coaches would last a hell of a lot longer than the players, at least back then. And they always had something to say that resonated and connected with me. Um, so that that was sport. It was through basketball, through baseball, and then eventually when I became an athlete, football, um, through middle school, like every kid in, in Texas starts to play football in middle school. So then that that transitioned to my first exposure to weightlifting. Uh, sixth grade was when we started to lift, uh, which was cool. Like <laughs> I wouldn't call it coaching, but that was our first exposure to the barbell. And how much were you lifting in sixth grade? Well, we had the coach's coach. Uh, like I, w- I was thinking about this and trying to remember, but how it was set up, like seventh grade football began, but mm-hmm. we wouldn't start weightlifting until football season was over. So right. winter time-ish. And then they taught us all the lifts when we were in sixth grade. So we had about probably six months between the instruction and the actual like, hey, go get them. We're going to test one RM. That's pretty but, uh, like that's pretty rare, don't you think? I mean, middle school introduction to weightlifting. I don't. You do not see that. I, I mean, it was normal in Texas. So yeah. the I, I was actually the demo boy. Like how our weight room was set up, and I'll, I will never forget it. Like we had a bench press, and then a dumbbell rack station for arms curls. Then we had an inclined bench press. And then another just set of dumbbells with now benches and then mirrors on the wall. Mm -hmm. Essentially, this uh, four or five rows of these four stations. And that was it. So no legs, no squats, no nothing in middle school. I imagine because the coaches can't necessarily coach that. Um, But then when they were using the demos, rather than the coaches show us what to do, I got called out. To set up on the bench press and then execute it. And it was the 45 pound bar. I'm in sixth grade. Like, <laughs> now I reference what we speak about when we're in the, the power athlete methodology, like intermuscular coordination. I'm all over the place, moving and shaking, trying to lift this bar. Mm-hmm. And the coach is trying to instruct, but I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm just not a coordinated kid. And that, I mean, that was it. 45 pounds was the, 
was the Mac that first time. Um, but then transition to the end of actual football season, we hit our one RMs. My max out was 65 pounds. That was, that was it. It was all I can muster, you know, 20 pounds stronger six months later, but, uh, within two weeks. So they gave us a shot. It was one RM. And then I think two weeks later, they were going to test us and decide, okay, these are going to be bigs and these are going to be smalls. If you're in the smalls, you're going to be a cornerback and a wide receiver, a defensive back, and you're just going to run every day because we need mm-hmm. you to be fast. And they did nothing but distance running. But like, I wanted to lift weights. I, I at the time was defensive line linebacker, undersized, of course, but yeah, didn't, I didn't want to run. So then uh, I needed my 85 pounds, but got, I got it. That was it. Maxed out at 85 pounds. Of course, failed at whatever the hell I tried, attempted next. It was probably like 115, but um, then that was it. So then I got the opportunity every single day to start doing the same four station routine within the, the football class, because that's how Texas works. Football is a class. Mm-hmm. And we got to, to start training then. Um, and I mean, it was great. It was, uh, I mean, memorable. I remember the colors, remember the weight room. I uh, remember the coaches just hanging out at their desk, reading magazines and you know, <laughs> just letting the kids have some fun. Let the kids play. Uh, so y- you mentioning um, the, the weight training stuff being like a, like essentially like a baby deer and only doing upper body lifts. It, it begs the question, if you could go back, just looking at middle school as just not even high school, but just middle school, if you could go back and as a coach yourself, do things differently, what would you have done differently with your athletes at the middle school level, given everything that you know now? Because again, uh, maybe you spent the time in the weight room, <clears throat> not necessarily the most advantageous, but it's a good introduction to the lifts. So what would you, what would you do differently? Uh, I would have taken away the barbell, but still had heavier implements for us to lift. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and much like we, we speak to the, this approach in our austere course and apply in our third monkey training program, like it's still, it's still challenging movement, but we find tools, cinder block, sandbag, that force you into good positions and then fighting for that. What do you so think if, that would have done for a young Chris McQuilkin? Certainly increased my performance. I was a, a B teamer for life straight into then <laughs> JV. So like certainly improved my performance potentially. Um, but I opened my eyes to then the, the, the challenges because I mean, back then it was, it was not connected to performance. Like I want pecs. I want, more biceps. I want to get a bigger vein within my forearms when I try to flex as hard as I can. So Is like it at still that age, not about that? I feel like it's still about that. Oh, well, now here I am. <laughs> uh, I got to do math years Post, later. Post-performance era. Yeah. The, the uh, twilight of my 30s were back to the, where I started. So uh, it, it would have been, I guess, connected more towards performance. Mm-hmm. And then... Like I didn't make the basketball, tried out for basketball, didn't make the team. So then you just defaulted back to the weight room. So mm-hmm. I would have put done a better job, I guess, of instead of just setting the kids free, giving them a program, taking away the barbell 
and then giving them essentially the primal movements that we talk about with sandbags, tires, blocks, just things that are, are easier to teach and less likely for a kid to screw up. Right. Now, even though we're talking about taking away the barbell, I do want to ask you about uh, a, you know, a paramount time in every lifter's life, which is when's the first time that you can remember benching 135? That, that is an excellent question. Um, it happened some point in this middle school, like eighth grade for sure, uh-huh. on the way out. So back to the weight room, why it was so memorable. Like my, my mom was a nurse at Memorial High. Memorial Hospital. I went to Memorial Middle School. And so, like, the hospital was my babysitter. Mm -hmm. So, after school, you walk and you hang out until she's finished with her shift. That sucked. (laughs) So, if we're not playing football, okay, well, then I can just hang out in the weight room. Our coaches don't don't care. I didn't make the basketball team. So, then, okay, I'm sticking with the weight room. And what do we do every single day? Bench press. Rather than you know, just go sit in a waiting room somewhere. I'll sit in a weight room and just get stronger. So certainly got 135 bench. And then um, transitioning into high school, we actually had performance coaches, which is interesting because in Texas, uh, when I was in high school, they switched over summer rules. If you had a football at your training session, it was considered a practice. So I had two summers where we had arena league football players come out to the high school and train us as athletes. And it was phenomenal, phenomenal because we mixed weight room, speed and skill. Mm-hmm. So then I, at this stage, I, I knew I was going to be a linebacker. So then you just worked with a semi-professional, you know, still arena league, professional athlete on the specific skills that you need to execute. And so that progressed me leaps and bounds. And I remember my squat, like, being less than my bench press, and then within a matter of weeks, however long that summer did, that freshman pre-freshman year, mm-hmm. like that's that's when it all started to to come together. And then I became more of a a squatty body, mm-hmm. and liked, I mean, appreciated leg days versus you know what was two years of upper body day. Nothing wrong with a squatty body, and I like how you. Um earlier, I don't even think you caught yourself say it, but you went from the weight room to the weight room. <laughs> oh, the waiting the, room uh, to the weight room. Oh, That's like, good. The nursing uh, situation. That was good. Yeah. That's I didn't good. even pick up on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's your legacy now. Uh, so I guess, you know, you're now we're talking a little bit more about freshman year and I'm, I'm wondering if maybe high school or even middle school, there are some coaches that stand out to you, um, you know, coaching and like the nuance of coaching and communication and connection is something that you're really passionate about. So I'm, I'm curious as to if there was somebody that, that resonated with you as a, as a youngster and why you think that is. He stand out and resonate because I didn't necessarily have, I had good men as coaches, but not great coaches. Um, so where they they put you, put me in the best position to learn a lot of life lessons, like there was times when I needed what I would consider like a coach and uh, a, a mentor and for somebody to lean on that I, I didn't have it. And I'm, mm-hmm. I won't name names, but one experience in which I had. So I was junior on JV and how they 
how this the school operated, we were rivals with every year state champion. And so coaches were measuring us against the best, although we were not competitive. Um, but then what the coaches, they aimed to do was put some sophomores, and they were great. They were very talented on our varsity team and then keep our juniors on JV. So they were investing more coaching and pouring into these kids to give themselves an opportunity one, two years down the line against the inevitable state champion. Mm-hmm. So that was like selling hope, selling longevity, selling opportunity so they could maintain their jobs and then felt that they decided like my my crew, my boys performance for us. And what did stick out was following our, our spring ball. Like I started playing lacrosse at this point, but following our spring football. How old were you or what you, uh, what grade were you in? Uh, 16, 17. So junior, okay. junior year, uh, March birthday. So started playing lacrosse, 16 years old, went into the JV football season, but was, was a football guy that played lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Like we started the team there. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And then like where I, I switched, I guess my focus and attention was following our, our, our junior football season. Uh, coach uh, takes us all individual into different uh, into the room to speak to us, communicate what we need to work on, prepare for the next year. And he told me straight up, you work hard in the weight room. You work hard out on the field, but you're just not any good. And so you're waiting for then another like compliment sandwich or constructive <laughs> feedback or for something to to work on. Right. So something action something actionable after that. Yeah. No, that was it. Wow. So there was a, this this moment of dead air where I I just have to accept and eat the quote unquote feedback that I'm receiving following mm-hmm the the year here preparing for my last year of football and that was that was it so of course heartbroken like plenty of shit going on at home i needed yeah. a coach and then this was this was it like this I was, was the closest thing to a coach that you had and it was like so how did that shape you after that were you you just you knew something was wrong with that conversation but probably it wasn't until years later that you realized this is why I walked out of this feeling so hopeless or feeling so, um, you know, defeated. Or like I said, just at the minimum, like there wasn't anything that I could take action. There was no ammunition to move forward. Right. Um, that, I mean, I feel like that's not something that you can really recognize when you're the age that you were, you just know something's fucked up. And, uh, so it's like not till later till you either receive good coaching or good mentors, or you've gone through some sort of experience or educational process yourself. Right. Yeah. I I didn't, I didn't know how to to process it. So Mm -hmm. what I did know is that our lacrosse team, it was, it was fun. We were, we were winning. Like we weren't a playoff team, but we had, certainly exceeded more than we should have our first year. And so I got, I got my boys, mm-hmm. I got uh, camaraderie, teamwork, and then this is just the beginning stages of, of skill development. So of course it's accelerated. Like the more work I put in, the more my stick work and footwork and understanding of the game improved. So I was getting a lot of performance feedback as an right. athlete 
where I wasn't getting it as uh, support from a person from the the football per- perspective. Um, so and like co- coincidentally, the lacrosse coach at the time, like he was just a good guy. He was not a coach, but he was you know dude from Long Island that loves lacrosse. And then we just scrimmaged, and he uh, he got to play with us and and show mm-hmm. us essentially the ropes. And one thing that stood out for me that he said is you're going to be remembered for what you're not supposed to do. And if you think about that, it it does stick out. Like if we are supposed to mm-hmm. have a lot of potential and be this, this freshman kid that goes to this college team and turn it around, but then we don't, we're going to be remembered as, you know, this high potential kid that never made it. Or if I'm this walk on that goes to this team, I'm not supposed to make the team. I'm not supposed to earn my scholarship. I'm not supposed to start. I'm not supposed to make a difference. They're going to recruit beyond me because I'm not supposed to do this. But then you do. Then you are this story. You are this moment. You are this kid that the coaches developed. You know that you know, had the right attitude and they never counted. You never counted yourself out. Mm-hmm. So it stuck out. So why yeah. I held on to this uh, phrase and quote no idea, but it, it, the more that uh, played lacrosse, the more that it meant to me because a, a kid from Texas going to East Coast to play, I'm not supposed to. Yeah. I love Especially it. 20 years ago. Um, but like, I'm not mad at the football coach. So I, I know John's spoken of his coaching scars before and how they fueled him and he, he yeah. named names. And no, I'm not mad at the man. It's just shit. When I needed. A coach, I didn't. I didn't have one, and it sucked. Right. So then, looked for another outlet where I could use my body, athleticism, uh, training, be with my friends, and continue to to hold on to what I mean I needed. I wasn't getting it elsewhere. Yeah, I love i I love these stories because it 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 creates like this framework for everything that I've seen you do like since then. And since I've known you, it's all the pieces start to fit together and make sense. Like, you know, even when you were reflecting back on your earliest memories of sport and uh, talking about your, the coaches, the basketball coaches around your dad's uh, kind of, as he was bringing you up into sport and the coaches, the basketball coaches that were popular during that time and how they were essentially very quote worthy. Uh, And that that's a huge part of who you are is you tend to latch on to phrases that really resonate with you and things that like, even just the, the quote that you just used from um, the coach from Long Island, you know, it, to me that that's something that you've carried on from uh, essentially childhood all the way through your adulthood. You're like obsessed with quotes and uh, you, you have one for virtually every situation. And then this whole co- this whole uh, experience with your coaches during this pretty formative time in your life, when you were, um, you know, a lot of shit going on at home, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, sort of, um, where, where do I go from here and sport and, uh, you know, ha- having that conversation with your coach that basically said, Hey, like you just, you just suck essentially. Like I can see how that now has influenced you. You took that and you, you know, you have, you came up with an entire coaching series of articles and communication series through power athletes so that people are armed with tools. So they don't experience that, which you experienced, you know, and I, I think that's, 
it's amazing that this is kind of like, this is exactly why I wanted to have these conversations because it, it shows like, uh, what has fueled your desire to, um, you know, not repeat the same or not have other coaches repeat the same flaws of the past. So it's very, it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, the series in which Callie's speaking about is called power coach. Go to powerathletehq.com search that, um, it's 12 series of 12 articles written, man, probably five or six years over the span of it, but then 12 lessons that, uh, aimed to walk through the life cycle of a coach. Um, I I still got some pieces that I need to add to it, but it was, um, yeah, you know, you just get the, the itch. Hey, I got to hold on to this one key phrase. And mm-hmm. then here comes a, a lesson or a blog or an article from it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's good. Good journey. I remember definitely, that. definitely a good series. Uh, <clears throat> and I actually, I send those to people now because I think it's helpful when people ask me certain questions. It's like, just refer back to this, you know, because it, you know, the, uh, the coaching aspect of it or the mentorship aspect, it's just, to me, it's just, and I tell people all the time, it's just like a vehicle to, um, a lot of other lessons and facets in life. And, uh, you know, and the same thing goes, is true for lifting weights or training, um, which kind of leads into another question I have of you is since training, lifting weights, uh, you know, all of these, auxiliary things around sport, even though maybe we're not playing sport regularly in a competitive fashion anymore, the training is still a huge integral part of life. Um, what purpose do you think that serves for you? And if you can answer this part, part two of the question, part two, a, uh, if you couldn't train, lift weights, et cetera, how would you be able to, what would be the vehicle for these lessons, right? So like, what's the lesson? And then if you couldn't, like, if you were not physically capable, you'd have to have another avenue to, 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 to experience these, whatever lessons are. Um, so what, what would that be? Well, I'm still coaching now. So the lesson essentially is practice what I preach. So I still have high expectation for the high schoolers, which I directly coach. Then we coach a shit ton of coaches and then thousands of athletes through through our training programs but like one to one I still have a very high expectation of them because I would never ask them to do anything that I wouldn't be able to to do or have done myself why do but you think that's so important I don't I, I would if I you don't mind me interrupting you there because I think a lot of people there is I would say there's a schools of thought on either side that are pretty well balanced um, because there's a lot of people who do not think it's necessary or maybe in some sports or in some settings, it's important to be able to demonstrate and to exhibit the same physical prowess or whatever. But uh, there's also situations where it's absolutely not necessary um, because of your level of experience or other variables. So why do you think it's important? Because the kid, they're doubting themselves. They believe they can't do this. So whether it's a specific conditioning workout or specific weight training experience or a movement skill, whether that's sport or the physical preparedness that we provide, they for one moment believe they cannot do it. So then I show them 
okay, this is what it looks like. This is the model of the, the expectation. And trust me, I'm going to make it look as seamless and effortless and as beautiful as possible. And then they are going to try it and they're going to fail. But guess what? I'm going to make them do dead bugs, do our, our side pillar work, do a lot of the skips and the different movements through space that they are uncoordinated at until they're not. So then it creates this sense of confidence of, okay, I acknowledge I'm scared of this. I can't do that. Or I suck at this. I think everybody's looking at me, but guess what? I got 40 dudes out there that everyone thinks everybody's looking at everybody, but they're not. So then it's getting them to focus on the movement. And then over time, exposure just becomes second nature in baby games. And so it really will carry over. So this next year, I did one year high school, two years middle school before. This next year, year two with a high school, it's going to click. Because the freshmen are going to come in. And they're going to be as bad at the, the, the skips, the dead bugs, and all the stuff that these, these high schoolers were the year before. And they're going to see how hard they worked and the progress. And now it's on me to help them realize and coach them up on how to coach their new teammates and how to be leaders and how to carry over. So it's one, they believe they can't do it or that looks impossible or that looks hard, but I'm going to make them do it. I'm going to show them that I can do it. And then the next year here, where I modeled and led, they become the models and the leaders of the team. And then maybe four years from now, like when I'm 40, I don't have to, but I probably still will sprint my ass off with the team and do all these things because seniors and juniors, and it's just the way of the team. So we're aiming to build a culture of movement, but it all has to start with me. Otherwise, I'm just telling these kids to go do things versus showing them. And that's not a leader in my mind. That's going back to the coach. That's just them telling me that I'm no good, but not giving me any feedback to then progress versus the high school coach that I had that was positively affirming us. Hey, you guys are great. Your effort, amazing athletes. And then he showed us that, you know, this is how you play. And he would be out there himself with them. I think it's uh, an important thing that you said is, the that development it starts with you but what you didn't say is that it ends with you and i think like that's the whole point and when you said you develop these athletes and then they go on to their next year and they become the um you know they have the abilities then to exhibit demonstrate whatever to push the the next generation that's coming up uh, because I think you can get into a little bit of, depending on the coach's approach, you can't make a program or a mentality or a ethos for a team be fully dependent on just you. Um, that's not sustainable. And what happens when you, I fucking, I don't know, get sick or you, you know, something happens and you need to be fostering that within these little, uh, you know, malleable athletes, um, because the program can't just be only as strong as you. I think it can get stronger than you, you know what I mean? Um, so that's, a, I think that's a good kind of distinction that you made. So, so that being said, what would you, if you couldn't physically exhibit any of these qualities, like, let's just put, you can answer in, in the realm of coaching or just in your own personal life, like training, like if you couldn't physically do these things, now what? I, I, I would still would teach it or I would teach. 
in any form like health and then uh, goals, direction, aim, possibility, and just bottom line. Like if, if you talk about like what I'm trying to accomplish here, it's take people where they can't take themselves. Mm-hmm. So whether that's in the classroom and understanding like history or I mean, health, I had a, I'm just thinking about all the high school coaches that I had that were teaching me in classes. Mm-hmm. Like some were amazing. And the more passionate they were about history, the more I was in. The less passionate about they were uh, with topics, I was out. So just connecting to that passion, whatever it is, I would fall into place. Um, that's it. So I still do that with, you know, strength and conditioning. <laughs> With our, if anyone's seen present at the NSCA deals, whether it's the the NSCA tactical or the coaches conference, uh, or any of our lectures, shameless plug, academy.powerathletehq.com, it's just putting what I would give to an athlete into a lecture so mm-hmm. that the coach is connected, so that they can still hand off that same passion, drive, and plus the information, pathos, ethos, and logos. To their kid. Yeah. You're, uh, I know I've told you like a thousand times on the phone before, but you're, when I watch you speak at these events and stuff, it's, it's amazing. Like you're, you're, uh, well, it's public speaking, but your passion that's behind that, that drives the public speaking and the effect that you have as the viewer, the listener, the audience member is just, it's really incredible. And I, you know, I don't like, I, I'm not trying to like, blow steep, blow smoke up your ass, but it's, it's your, you can tell that you love what you do just based on the energy that you put forth and you make it seem effortless. And it's not, I mean, it's a polished practice, you, you know, going back to the receiving uh, critical feedback from coaches or mentors. We definitely had that along the line uh, mm-hmm. when we were doing seminar stuff, it was pretty, it's pretty harsh feedback and criticism. And um, you know, you can, uh, you can use those as opportunities, quote unquote, to, to develop, to push yourself and to refine your skill set. And so, you know, that's something that you've done over the years and and now it just looks seamless and effortless. So, um, definitely, uh, it, it's definitely been polished over time, but, you know, like I said, the, the passion being the driving force is what, um, that's what makes the experience for the person that's actually listening. Um, so, you know, to continue the conversation about training aside from just maybe not having the physical capacity to do these things and having an outlet, I, how has your training, because, you know, over the years you were, you're training to get stronger and better at your sport. And now it's, you know, to exhibit the same skill set to your athletes so you can demonstrate, but how is the, like, what are you training for? How has that evolved in kind of like a big picture thing? big picture bringing in nutrition like not often neglected but just taken for granted the understanding and then again i'm getting older and i'm in prime uh achilles tendon tear age especially for how active i still am so the healthier i can be the healthier my tissues will be and the less likely i'll lead to an injury Mm -hmm. and god forbid that ever does happen nutrition better be freaking dialed in so my body can focus on its healing versus whatever crap I'm putting in. Uh, so it's it's bringing in this this holistic approach, for the lack of a better term, and actually acknowledging the things that we were teaching. 
and how important they are and that the gut truly is the window to the immune system. So whether it's protecting that for the benefits of training or the benefits of health so then I can continue to recover right. from the less work that I'm doing now. Um, so, yeah, not being, yeah, again, now full force practice what I'm preaching. And the, the Hammer 90 competition, which we wrapped up recently, fortunately, nutrition coach Sam Flaherty was able to uh, piece together a performance protocol specific to uh, the goal I was going for in my body weight and walk me through the 90 days and help me with that. Because then, I'm, you know, it, it was a team. So I, she did this for me. I'm going to value this and then let the, the rest fall in place by actually listening to what my teammate had to uh, had to say for me. So yeah, if only more people followed that uh, thought process, you know, somebody who takes the time to deliver something to you on a platter and uh, that's for for you that you know is using their expertise. Shit, there's a lot of people who have wasted opportunities like that. So okay, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, I had uh, oatmeal with chocolate collagen and then some blueberries and then oh a shit ton of coffee because i was writing this morning okay um, i'm also rewriting our methodology so then that's adding we wrote that man years ago so now mm-hmm. i'm at the opportunity more lessons uh, more teams more coaches that have been through our block one identifying where they need to uh, better understand the tools and the application so rewriting that based off the lessons we learned the block one test is as much a test for us mm-hmm. as it is for the coaches because we're delivering the information they're coming back to us as the students and then it's i mean it's no easy test so they got to essentially give us back the information and the test is feedback for us for what we're putting out there in terms of education so writing some wrongs in there so this morning was fueled to dive into a creative state for you and I are connecting here. But um, do you fuel based on the endeavor? Often. Mental mental endeavor. I'm not obviously physical. Yes. But uh, does the food affect your mind, your mental state? Uh, uh, yeah, I think so. Definitely. So if you were to have like eggs instead, like if you had six eggs instead of oatmeal, would you have like how how is the oatmeal? optimizing like a mental state for writing oh that's a good question i don't know but you just knew you just knew that that was the right meal for the right mindset well certainly with fruits getting some uh getting some energy in there Mm -hmm. just curious you can you can noodle on that one for a little while i will have to so how is so when we used to train together way back when I'm trying to think of like the music that we listen. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, oh. The darkness. Oh, we used to listen to the darkness all the time, and I think you bought me my first darkness CD. Children, that's compact disc, um, and I listened to that as I drove across country for my uh, job with CrossFit football, and yeah, it was on repeat. Great album. In my Wrangler, um, so. We used to listen to that a ton. What else did we listen to? I mean, we would listen to that and like, you were just a big fan of like that type of music. Very Queen-esque type. Oh, yeah. Type. I mean, The yeah. Darkness is a modern day queen. Yeah. But 
I mean, the high pitches. Yeah. And the, the toe tapping tunes. <laughs> what do you listen to now? Uh, Queen in the dark. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yes. And no, I still get into it. But I mean, the freaking late 90s to the early 2000s, just locked in that middle school, high school music. Yeah. Phase, which is Cisco, like uh thong song <laughs> yeah on repeat uh <laughs> to the window to the wall like oh, i don't yeah. know a lot of rap music but the ones that i do know from high school they're still in there they're highly inappropriate yeah that last one definitely as a mother text i don't recommend it <laughs> <laughs> i mean we're playing it at the high school like basketball I know. And volleyball games i know i know teachers didn't know any better but the thing or is they did kids in texas <laughs> yeah or yeah exactly Kids in Texas, though, they were treated as adults from the time they could, you know, if if you could, if you could wield like a six shooter, you were considered an adult. And so that was you. Uh, yeah. Driving was 15 back then. Like, huh. <laughs> that, wow. I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, what is funny about that? We like me and my buddies all took driver's ed together and then our instructor like they something happened to them they went to jail i think it was a dui so then they just passed all of us that will happen so we didn't even take driver's ed like we just took the class and then all passed how is this possible i don't know there's no oversight in texas Texas. hello oh my god wow there are a lot of loopholes down there in katie texas i am not mad at it it's just it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around in the culture and society that we currently live in where nothing like that would go unnoticed. You know, how about the fact that you, uh, you have done, you've performed live. That's, oh, I think that's yeah. A, yeah. Like as a musician, I think that that is something that people would be really surprised to know. Yes. I was in a band in college <laughs> in post-college. Yep. We had three total shows. Our band name was One Track Mind, no spaces. Uh, so it was Buddy. Uh, I, I don't want to ruin his career because like we were bad. We were like a poor man's tenacious D. We aimed to curse as much as possible because we would play at a family restaurant that had an open mic. And we just thought it was funny. <laughs> um, so in, in the theme of this Power Athlete Radio performance for the people, <laughs> that's what the one track mind did we were performance for the people i have some funny stories along those concerts that i i can't even get into uh not family friendly but the i mean it, it was important my bandmate is an amazing musician phenomenal guitar player talented as all hell and he was just too nervous to do it himself mm-hmm. and like I don't know if I stay stagnant long enough, get a little stir crazy and do something stupid like the rodeo. Uh, we were a band for years before we actually performed our first show. So that was mm-hmm. okay. Let's I'll get up there and make an ass of myself for you, friend. So that's that's what we did. We we had wrote our own music like <laughs> it's so bad that it's good. We just never got the the eyes on that the. The Tenacious D did, and then created this amazing history. Oh, big fan of Tenacious D, by the way. Um, so yeah, one track mind. If you can find it on YouTube, good luck. 
I love that you're like, you keep likening yourself to Tenacious D, you know, and I think that's, that's putting yourself pretty high up there. That's saying a lot. So. I mean, Scott can play and sing and he's amazing. And then I'm just there. So. Oh, you're not. You're not. I, I saw you guys perform once, I think. Or you perform potentially? No, it was definitely both of us. Because he, yeah, would, I wouldn't do it without him. He wouldn't yeah. do it without me. I can and picture then, the bar, but I can't. I can picture the bar and the stage. Oh, it's no longer in business. It's called the Front Page. It was in Boston. Yes. Mall. Yes. Oh my in God! Arlington, you Virginia. Have such a good memory. Of course, you were performing, and I was probably like getting shit faced. But well, uh-huh. yeah, they only let us play on Tuesday nights. <laughs> and at the same time, they let us continue to play because we would just bring racks of people and give yeah. them so much money just yeah. to make fools of ourselves. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's what started, I suppose, my public speaking career is getting up there. It's pretty impressive. You know, I think like it takes it takes some balls. I uh, are a musician as well. I studied music for a really long time, specifically opera, which a lot of people don't know that, but uh, done a lot, a lot of performing and being judged, going to competitions and being judged and having to do qualifying uh, pieces and things like that and um, getting rated. <laughs> and Oh, God. Yeah. So getting getting a rating from, like you know, uh, from basically like one to five type thing, um, doing state competitions and that kind of thing. And it's like that just it just never felt like good it just always feels really awful like not not the judging part but just the the first few notes of performance you're like i can't believe we're fucking doing this again and then you you then you kind of get into a groove but it is it's very nerve-wracking and so i i'm i tip my hat to you sir that reminds me of dead poet society where he draws this very a theoretical graph on the board of how to judge grade poetry. Mm. And then he asks all the students to just rip out that first chapter. Like, I, I don't know. Can you mm-hmm. apply that to music? I do appreciate the voice and all those music competition shows. Cause I mean, those people, not the ones that like make fun of the bad ones, mm-hmm. the ones that like highlight these amateurs that are really good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of hidden talent out there. And you, sir, might just be one of them. Uh, So as we're kind of winding down the conversation, where do you think the holes in your training or your coaching currently are? Or are you perfection like personified? No, I, I, I stay within my wheelhouse in terms of coaching. Is that all? That's your advice to everyone. Just stay in your wheelhouse. <laughs> For, let's say I'm working with the kids. I'm not going to do anything experimental that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. So it's inbounds. It's safe. And they are training for their sport and their performance. So like if I were to go outside of my wheelhouse and then, I mean, a lot of the the specific track the sport of track and field that would be outside my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. So diving in, but it's so specified, but I I'm sure I can learn a lot to then carry over to like in terms of bounding. uh, If we're talking about the triple jump and understanding the bounding and the approaches for a high jump and all of that to then carry over and apply it more simply 
to field court sport athletes, that would be a hole uh, that I can deep dive. So within my training, certainly bounding. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the beauty of, I mean, I didn't get the opportunity to speak to like great mentors and coaches that I've had, the Ruiz in in particular. um, But the biggest takeaway from him was that I was, I was a try hard. I would try too hard. So it would work against me. That tension was preventing mm-hmm. me from really understanding and becoming quick and fast and speed carry over. So now I see those kids on the field to try to get them to, you know, Chubbs Peterson, ease in the tension, baby, and just relax. Mm-hmm. So like the holes would be more of the extreme side of those uh, contract and relax, the bounding, the triple jumps, uh, the sport of track and field. Um, that then I can aim to understand to then bring to field court sport athletes in a very a simple feature. So I know I can connect the dots. I just got to find the right coach to, to, to have conversations with to connect those dots. Like we've, we've had Dan Paff on the podcast. Um, so he'd be, he'd be one. And there's plenty mm. of coaches at the uh, Clint Martin strength and conditioning coach for the Texas track team we've also had on the podcast. So I have yep. people I can lean on. I just got to do it. Um, what about, what about non-physical? Um, I mean, recovery, so, but I don't, I don't know. Like the big thing again, with our education, power athlete, academy.powerathletehq.com, we assume that you have nothing, no resources other than yourself and then a barbell. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of the recovery practices do involve some form of tool, like even if it is just an ice bath, that's still a cost. So like if I can understand the pieces, the construction of that uh, recovery tool, okay, well, we can utilize our breath to then take advantage and stay longer in the ice bath. Okay, well, then learn more about breath to then bring breathing to or high school coaches that have no resources other than themselves. Okay. Yeah. Then uh, can do that and connect it back to it. But um, I mean, the, the education is minimalist in every sense of the word. And that's what we aim to do because we, we know the population that we're working with It's parents and then strength coaches and sport coaches that then take on their responsibility of strength and conditioning for their team. Um, more than 60% of our students within the methodology course, they have no other certification. So they're coming to us to learn how to practically apply strength and conditioning information and tools to give to their athletes immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the whole course was developed. I've taken every strength and conditioning certification out there. Uh, as hard as they were and challenging, invested the time to understand what they were trying to test for and why. And one of the biggest gaps was application. So awesome. You received this certification, even the, the SCCC from the CSCCA, <laughs> uh, very strenu- strenuous testing. And you stand there and you, def- you write a program, you defend it in front of three master coaches and they give uh, 
a grade sheet feedback, and then you pass or fail. So it's like a master coach certification. Yeah, for collegiate strength and conditioning coaches. Mm-hmm. And um, so that they, they, they would argue the gold standard. But, I mean, it's just a, a good test. But they don't give you feedback. Mm-hmm. And then there's no application. There's no tools to help you ap- apply. They're leaning on your ability to connect with a coach in college and have that coach mentor you. But quoting John over here, quoting Greg Glassman, you fall to the level of your training. So my coach as a development, I fall to limitations and the biases of the coach that trained me. So then I step up and get three coaches grading me, but giving me zero three feedback. Those three people have their own experiences that then could teach me. Mm-hmm. So our course focuses on application, applying right away, giving you the tools to grow and develop as a coach as you're coaching. It's written in a format where I'm going to apply this on day one. I'm going to look for it. I'm going to see it. And then the next day, the next section, I read this and I start to apply this. And my experience grows as I'm going through the course and applying it to athletes. I can see coordination unfold. I can see my hypertrophy and my athletes develop on a linear progression and then start to understand and make connections between the course material and then me coaching the athlete. And then our block one test, coaches come to us and then they stand and deliver the information. They sit down in a roundtable format. They have a very interactive social intelligence as a group. And then we give them feedback on their coaching, on their teaching, on their application and understanding of the material. And whether they pass or fail, they become a better person because of it. So we have a 70% pass rate, relatively high, but then there's still people that we send away and give them the feedback that they need to work on. And if they want to come back, hell yeah, we'll have them. If they don't, then apply the information and make your athletes better because of it. They are the man in the arena. They're taking the chance to come out here, put themselves through the ringer, like stand in front of John, myself, and our, our, our coaching staff here, and become better because of it. So we're going to do our damnedest to give them the feedback to help them empower themselves and their athletes. Again, I mean, roots all the way back to the, the coaching experiences that I had mm-hmm. as an athlete and how unfulfilled, unfortunately, I was but had success. I wasn't supposed to have success as a college athlete, but I did. So it's, it's, it's that aim, um, creating opportunities for kids out there that wouldn't have it otherwise through sets and reps and squats and coaching. It's fun. Yeah. It's a much more, uh, you know, the way you describe it, it's a much more, um, comprehensive approach to coaching, right? It's not just, can you pass a test or written test? Can you do, you know, demonstrate simple barbell movements? Can you, it's, it's much more holistic sounding than just, uh, and that's exactly, you know, you had coaches that exhibited pieces of that along the way, but nobody who really had that comprehensive whole package, um, which is what you're describing. And the, which is why, you know, the power athlete coaches are held to such a high standard, you know, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but what, 
one of your favorite quotes of all time is a coach needs a coach. Yeah. So, I mean, where do you fall into that process? Where do you seek? Uh, I mean, I know just based on some of our conversations, some of the, some of the ways that you seek coaching mentorship still, uh, but maybe you can kind of describe those for listeners. Very timely question. Um, so I gotta, I gotta thank the podcast for scratching that itch in the world of strength and conditioning performance. Mm -hmm. Extremely fortunate in the opportunity started by Ms. Hinsman over there episodes, episodes ago. Uh, I mean, speak and sit down at a table with Louis Simmons, Jim Wendler, uh, pulling Ruiz in. So I, I had the opportunity to work one-on-one with him, but still now sitting down with him as a peer and, and pulling more lessons out of him as he grows and develops as a coach and a father. Very fortunate with that and utilizing this platform in the world of strength and conditioning. On the note of Ruiz, in 2016, I was actually at the CSCCA conference in Orlando and Raft's based in Tampa. And he drove up to, to hang out with me for the day. And we're sitting at the pool at, at one of the Disneyland resorts, just hanging out. and. He dropped one of the most important pieces of advice, and I still hold on to this, is 2016, in that he obsessed with understanding the body, obsessed with understanding the nuances. He would travel to watch surgeries. So doctors perform surgeries on uh, nerves, wrists, just everything, hands, to understand like the pitching mechanics. Dude went all out. And then he, he was reflecting on his investment in this time. And I had spent uh, four months with him years before. And his guidance at this moment in time was that you need to explore outside of your obsession. Mm. So it can't just be about the body. It can't just be about communication. Mm -hmm. Identify the holes. And his reference was understanding now business, understanding marketing and branding and how to stand yourself up as these things. So that was valuable at the time. And now since our good friend Luke Summers had, had moved on, missing that, that business acumen mind, I had to seek mentorship elsewhere. So leaning on, again, connections within the fitness industry, uh, speaking with Devin Mayor, he was out here in Austin last weekend, and mm -hmm. his successful staying in the fitness business for decades, uh, and then leaning on different, again, leaning on Power Athlete Radio alum, uh, Mason Murphy, Camp Gladiator dude. I mean, he's seen that business grow from one, two, three people all the way into a national brand. So seeking people that have seen the, the, the fitness uh, value in a brand in a message, in a mission, and expand from small team that believe in something to now a national force. Whether you agree with their fitness practices or not, it's still, you know, lift weights, move, and, uh, and you know, and be a, be a good cult dude. culture. Yeah. Yeah. Culture. Absolutely. Culture, team buy-in and, and building something that people want to be a part of. Um, so now seeking more of those people out that I admire and respect that have, you know, built some camaraderie through experiences, you know, with them or 
you know, otherwise it's not just reading business books. I need to talk to people within the industry because fitness is, it's all, it's the only industry I know. But if I talk to like a business straight up person and explain to them uh, the, the nuances of fitness, they're like, no, that shouldn't work. Or, that's mm-hmm. weird. Because the most popular people in the, the industry are the ones that don't know shit. Like, but what are they, what are they doing properly that have projected them, like skyrocketed them to the top and have the top podcasts, even though you're shaking your head and would never apply said information that they're screaming from the mountaintop. No, that's a good, I like that. That's a good, um, and that just goes to show you, you know, Raph is a perfect example. It's a good uh, it's very symbolic of how he has, he himself has seen himself change as a coach, uh, over time and has been able to take a step back and get some perspective on his own limitations and, um, how that's impacting his, his ability to, you know, change lives or whatever. Um, I think that's, that's a good observation on his part. Uh, and I, I think, um, we all have that, I think, to some degree as we evolve in our either our coaching or our um, our own training experiences is just, I don't know what brings that time and experience and just conversations with other people. But, you know, if you're just if if Raf does nothing but try to specialize on, you know, how the body exactly the, the how the body moves uh, forever and ever and he goes to surgeries and he spends the rest of his life trying to you know, learn every niche within the biomechanics, then he's going to be like, it just, it's like, he's going to be some isolated dude. And I, I just think of like, you know, somebody who's like building a bomb in like a shelter in like the mountains somewhere. It's like, yeah, you have amassed all this knowledge, but how do you then, what do you do with it? Right. I mean, you, there's gotta be, you have to have some outside influences um, and some, you know, your, your Venn diagram, it has to touch other things in order to, you know, create a more like robust product, you know? So, yeah, if, if Raph does come up with a manifesto, however, I will read it. <laughs> yeah, <But> exactly. <laughs> to quote Steve jobs, creativity's in the connections. So like you can find parallels with, and that was what I was referring to. If, if I'm going to go understand as much as I can about, uh, the sport of sprinting or triple jumping and then bring it into how I can benefit my field athletes. Like that's it. Creativity's in the connections. I don't have to do exactly what coach path does, but I can learn, uh, tools, coaches, eye, perspective, and then aim to apply it one way or another. If I find one piece that is applicable, mm-hmm. discard what it's not useful. Uh, is that right? <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds Some, something like that. Uh, okay. Last question pulled from fight club. This one is inspired from fight club. If you could lift weights with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Well, this is an easy one. Don't Fred say Gandhi. Hatfield. Oh, Oh, really? Yeah. I'd fight Fred Hatfield. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Dr. Squat, we had a cool opportunity to interview him in 2017. So fortunate. And I mean, the, the, the influence, the idea, the concepts that he uh, practiced and wrote in, in his book, Power, 
And I mean, compensatory acceleration, train fast to be fast, and just the concept of this this power position, which you can be explosive from, that that just makes so much sense. But then if you walk into a weight room and just observe in a performance-based weight room, just observe, you don't see this this power and this pop when mechanical advantage increases. Um, so just to understand, I'd ask the questions like the light bulb moments of when the connections were made, when did you figure it out, what snapped, mm-hmm. how did you start to think this way? So then I can try to think like he thought to then have this, this, this concept and this idea change the trajectory of his entire, I mean, life, training, philosophy, writing. He was a doctor in philosophy, not, you know, the body. So that's Dr. Squat, Dr. Fred Hatfield in philosophy. But uh, yeah, just figure out and find out why he thought what he did. Uh, that's the beauty of the podcast again. Mm-hmm. We have an author on, we get to read their book and then break, like rip apart and try to tear apart the ideas and the concepts to understand where they were coming from when they wrote that down. And going back to our test, like that's the block one test. You mm-hmm. literally sit at this table with me and then try to argue and have a social conversation with a group about the concepts of this stuff. Can you try to find fallacy? Can you try to fall or find where it breaks or where it doesn't apply? Mm-hmm. That's the challenge. Okay, well, let's pick it up. Let's break it apart and, and see what we can come up with. And then if there is any falter or fault or, or hole or a concept or angle that we haven't yet thought of okay well this is a living breathing approach a methodology we can work it into this concept this idea that we call athleticism it's beautiful it's a beautiful thing uh well that wraps up my my line of questioning thanks for letting me pick your brain yeah putting the spotlight on i thought you were gonna say that you're the person you wanted to lift weights with was me in like two weeks. Well, uh, we will do that. I know. In the garage. <laughs> I'll take second place to Fred Hatfield though. Uh, I only have uh, one dumbbell at each weight though, uh, because I didn't realize that uh, when I ordered them, they come as singles, not as pairs. So there's going to be a lot of praxis involved. Uh, unilateral training. Yeah, yeah. Unilateral or just slightly Uneven. imbalanced. Yeah. 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 It's fine. Everything's fine. It'll be good. Um, well, this is a good chat. Hopefully people will, um, get to know you a little bit better and how you have breathed life, uh, in your words, uh, into the power athlete methodology and where all that stems from, because I learned a little something here today myself. And if people want to learn more about you and follow you, Callie, where do they go? Me? Why would you (laughs) want to? Not that anyone would want to. I'm, I'm basically. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm just, a, am a police broad with a couple of kids and a cat. Um, but I'm at Callie Hinsman and I don't know why anyone want to follow me, but if you do, all right. Uh, puns, lots of puns. Puns. There's a few puns. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. And then at powerathletehq.com, uh, learn more about the education we spoke of. There's a free trial course at academy.powerathletehq.com 
Uh, you get to see some up updated lecture videos in there, even if you have taken the course. Uh, yeah, as edits occur, we update them live on the site. So if you've been through it, you get it, air quotes, there's still something to learn as we've continued to learn through the podcast and application of training, Power Athlete Training. Um, so there you have it. Um, follow me, McQuilkin, at M-C-Q-U-I-L-K-I-N. But most of the good stuff is all on PowerAthleteHQ.com. I thought you, I thought you were going to forget how to spell your own last name. Like you were hesitating through the letters. No, taking my sweet time because the amount of times that now I'm taking this personally, my name has been misspelled in different presentations. I'll call out Nate Palin and the, the NSCA a couple years ago. Um, and then just throughout just my career. Do they spell it K-E-N? E, yeah. Brutal. Fuck out of here. Brutal. Oh my God. I can hear my kid yelling. Uh, <laughs> well, now it's time for you to empower your performance. Uh, bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!